Welcome to Retrofitted. My name is Rebecca Godlove. This episode contains a warning for candid discussion of mental health, specifically anxiety, and a possible trigger for that anxiety, pregnancy loss. Listener discretion is strongly advised. October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. Its symbol is a powder pink and sky blue awareness ribbon, often intertwined with a pair of tiny baby footprints. Sometimes the ribbon is given angelic wings or a halo. It's not a month you celebrate, of course. It's a month you observe. A time of reflection and sorrow for some, for many of us. Gratitude for others that they have not experienced such a loss. For those of us who have lost a child, though, as the trees explode into brilliant shades of topaz, garnet, and ruby, as the breezes turn colder and a bit ominous, as vivid orange pumpkins pop up next to corn stalks and black cat cutouts on front porches, we remember, we listen to the lonesome winds and smell the sharpness of a neighbor's hickory fire, we settle into our fall routines, back to school, maybe readying Halloween costumes, breaking out the crock pots for hearty soups and stews, and we remember. We watch children board the school bus. We pull out our heavy winter coats from storage, and we make sure the ice scraper's in the van just in case, and we remember. We remember who and what we lost, and we mourn what might have been. If I detailed every moment of each of my three miscarriages, I would have an entire season of podcasts, albeit a season very hard to listen to. And I've also shared these moments openly, publicly, so I'm choosing not to be exhaustive here. Instead of focusing on the details of the experience of losing a pregnancy, which truly is a kind of lonely horror in a class all by itself, in this episode I want to chronicle the effect of miscarriage on my mental health. Because such trauma has been a silent stalker of my peace of mind, it's time I laid everything on the table. Researchers aren't completely certain what causes anxiety. Or rather, they do know what causes it, but they also know that not everyone reacts in the same way to the same factors. Having close relatives with anxiety disorders, experiencing personal trauma, having certain physical disorders all can contribute to being diagnosed with an anxiety disorder of your very own. I'm going to stop here for a minute and explain the difference between anxiety and an anxiety disorder. This is very important. Anxiety itself is a feeling of worry, dread, or apprehension, and all people experience it. Concern over an overdue loan payment, worry about a child's first day at a school, or uh, your own experience at a new job, feeling nervous about your first real date after a breakup. All of those things are just caused to experience feelings of anxiety. None of those are a sign of a mental health issue. Anxiety disorders, what I mean when I'm talking about anxiety, are different. These are conditions in which anxiety itself becomes a, a cruel and constant companion rather than a transient visitor. People with anxiety disorders as well as disorders that include anxiety as a symptom, 
struggle to maintain balance in their thought and behavior patterns, finding themselves experiencing paralyzing fear or worry, panic attacks, intense irritability or anger or tension, difficulty concentrating or sleeping, developing unhealthy eating habits or any number of challenges. Scientists are still trying to figure out exactly why the brains of people with anxiety disorders function differently than people without those disorders. But yes, they actually do function differently. Incorrectly, you might say. It's not the same as having your stomach in knots the night before a math exam. I mean, that sucks, but it's not a condition you have to manage. Before I get back to my own experience with mental health, I need to make something extremely clear. I am a Christian. I am a churchgoer. I do believe that you can have Jesus in your heart and a therapist on speed dial. Anxiety disorders are real and genuine problems resulting in part from a portion of the brain that is not doing its job correctly. A person on crutches is likely that way because one of his or her legs is broken, meaning that that leg is not doing its job correctly and needs time to heal. A person needing a root canal is in pain because his or her tooth is unable to do its job properly and it's inflamed or infected and needs to heal. I am of the belief that mental health disorders are very real and they are not exactly the same anxiety being referenced in Bible verses such as Philippians 4, 6, which is often carelessly quoted to people experiencing the debilitating symptoms of an anxiety disorder. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, by the same token, I am not saying that mental health disorders cannot be divinely healed. That's God's thing. It's what he does. But far more frequently, the healing or improvement of our conditions, both mental and physical, are a result of care for our body, medication and or surgery, developing healthy habits, which might include therapy for some. Another note, yeah, I do believe that demons are real, but I do not believe that they are behind every single or even most mental health issues. While I do believe that the enemy of our souls delights when we struggle, especially in our minds, no, he is not lurking behind every diagnosis, rubbing his hands together with glee. And the Western church in general and on the whole has done either a great job of ignoring mental health crises altogether or, again, loudly blaming Satan when our brothers or sisters even admit to the smallest struggle with doubt or insecurity. So that handles that, and I hope I'm pretty clear in my stance. We lost the baby we later named Olivia Ray when I was just eight weeks along. But my body held on, refusing to acknowledge that the unborn child had stopped growing. And it wasn't until 13 weeks that I began to bleed, prompting an ultrasound that revealed the heartbreaking truth of our loss. For five weeks, my body betrayed me, convinced me that the pregnancy was progressing and I could plan to meet my firstborn at the end of February. 2012, leap year, no less. <laughs> I was going to have a leap year baby. But in truth, my body was actually my baby's grave. For as long as I can remember, writing has been a source of comfort for me. I ended up writing a blog post that very day on my now defunct page. Immediately sharing our tragedy had two reasons. First, I was better able to organize and process my thoughts and feelings. 
it was so much easier to get them out of my head and into the written word where I could analyze and accept them more readily. Second, it was actually a shocking but relatively painless way for us to share the sad news with our friends and family on social media. Since so many of them were already following my posts, they could read and we got far less well-meaning but incredibly awkward questions like, how far along are you? And when do you learn the sex? Two additional unexplained miscarriages followed. I later learned that I was in the very rare 1% of women who suffers recurrent miscarriage, which was until very recently defined as the loss of three or more consecutive pregnancies. That definition was recently updated to be two or more consecutive pregnancies. Either way, I fit the bill. Great. During all of this trauma, I have to say first and foremost that my family and my church family were incredibly supportive. They reached out right away, and although I was not ready to talk at first, they let me know that they were grieving with me, praying for me, and hoping with me. Some of the women opened up and shared their own stories of loss, and although I had gone to the same church for, at the time, well, well over a decade, I never knew that most of them had lost one or more pregnancies as well. Pregnancy loss, like mental health, is finally beginning to break the seal and become a less taboo topic in America, and that is profoundly important. Because in my case, the two are linked. Although I received immense love and support from people I love and trust, I feel strongly that the miscarriage triggered my anxiety. It was probably always there, a latent, dubious gift from genetics, but once I walked through the fires of pregnancy loss, the flames of an anxiety disorder were ignited. Although I became an instant advocate for miscarriage awareness, openly and freely discussing my experience and my faith, inside I was beginning to feel this overwhelming, bubbling pressure of something not right boiling inside of me. Not long after my third miscarriage, my mother died unexpectedly. Although she had not been in good health for several years prior, the circumstances surrounding her death were sudden but preventable, and the frustration of knowing that only added to my stress. Within a three-year period, I lost three pregnancies, my mother, and my husband lost his job. I was not myself anymore. I had to step down as a youth leader at my church because I was not processing my emotions in a healthy way. I was overwhelmed. I was even terrified to be intimate with my husband because I was convinced that I was going to end up pregnant and miscarry again, even with all the accepted precautions in place. If my period was even a day late, I was already mourning the death of the baby that I wrongly assumed I was carrying and miscarrying. Although I was also losing weight at the time, it was due to extreme calorie restriction. I was dropping pounds, but it was at the cost of vitamins, minerals, and more things that my body needed. I looked better, I felt better, but I was, looking back, probably in the early stage of an eating disorder. That was one of the few things in my life I could control. And even though I did need to lose the weight, it felt very powerful to deny myself the pleasure of eating, to sacrifice temporary delight and comfort in search of a thinner me. I was always striving to buy a smaller size. I had become obsessed with making sure that I looked the part wherever I went, church, girls' nights, work. 
now no one would have accused me of anything or even been worried about that part of my life because since I was already overweight, surely it looked to anyone else just that I'd stopped being lazy and started, you know, pulling myself up by the bootstraps. Now that, my friends, is what an anxiety disorder looks like, or rather what one can look like, since there are hundreds of combinations of symptoms and triggers for those afflicted. I was excelling at work, often training new employees at the pediatric office, and even writing training manuals used long after I quit. I was losing weight, I was exercising regularly, but it was fueled by something more akin to mania than to loving self-care. Between eating and exercising, I was probably consuming 800 calories on some days. That's not healthy, and it doesn't take a dietitian to tell you that. I was engaged at the church, involved in small groups, leadership, always taking part in special events as a greeter, a photographer, something. But I wasn't okay. And honestly, I'm still not, not entirely. Another difference between anxiety and an anxiety disorder is that anxiety disorders don't simply come and go. They don't heal up like a broken bone or fade like a scrape or a cut. They can be managed and treated, but they don't exactly go away. Now, I know that sounds like threatening or sort of depressing. And maybe even that I'm not encouraging people to, of faith to take their troubles and diagnoses to God. But I'm not saying that at all. I know that God can heal sovereignly. He can eradicate cancer or migraines or any afflictions in the body. But more often, much more often for us, he works through science. Oh my gosh, I said it. Yes, God does heal through medicine, surgery, therapy, and other kinds of treatment, both natural and laboratory-based. All wisdom comes from him to begin with. So why should we be offended by it if it comes through the hands of a skilled physician, a gifted chiropractor, or a nurturing counselor? So yes, I'm saying, yes, continue to pray. If you're a Christian dealing with a mental health condition, yes, pray. Prayer is more about changing us than God anyway. We know that. But listen, remember your condition is a result of something that is not correctly doing its job inside your body. It's not imaginary. It's not simply that you just need to control your emotions better. Like I said earlier, the same way you would seek care for a broken leg, including pain management, having the bone set, immobilization, and potential rehabilitative therapy, rather than simply asking God to make it better, you must seek care for your mental health if at all possible. Do not let anyone tell you it's all in your head or that things could be worse. Church folk, I'm talking to you now. <laughs> please, please, please. Stop saying things could be worse. Stop saying to think positively and stop simply quoting scripture to struggling people unless you plan to be the hands and feet of Jesus and help minister in a practical way to those who need it. Anything less than seeking to help fulfill a real need when you have the ability is toxic positivity. And if you don't know it, now you do. Jesus never simply told the afflicted people he encountered to look on the bright side or to realize that it's not really so bad. He fed them. He healed them. He taught them. He sat with them and he mourned with them and he rejoiced with them. He went where they were and he was not afraid of their messiness. 
my messiness. Jesus is not afraid of my messiness, my outbursts, my doubt, my diagnosis. When we were clawing our way out of the devastation after our miscarriages, people called me strong. Always strong, so strong. Outside, I was. But inside, I was waiting for someone to come save me from myself, from my grief, my pain. My faith was in a constant struggle with my circumstances. And it took time, a diagnosis, and support for me to begin to heal from that. In our next episode, I will discuss more about my own diagnosis my triggers and my mental health plan and where I've gone wrong and what that looks like in my household. I will also be sharing the experiences of some more folks who carry diagnoses and what their mental health journeys have looked like. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can reach me at retrofittedpodcast at gmail.com, my website at retrofitted.podbean.com, or my Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash retrofitted podcast. If you're listening via iTunes, please consider leaving a review so others can enjoy the series too. And if you're considering financially supporting this podcast and its associated endeavors, please visit patreon.com backslash Rebecca Godlove. As always, be wise and be well. song is Lift It Up by Ryan Anderson.